Hi everyone, welcome back to the Be More podcast, where we inspire you to be more of every role within the Salesforce ecosystem. Today's session is one I've been looking forward to for a while. We are talking about being more well-architected, and I'm honoured to be joined here today by Susanna. So Susanna, without further ado, could you introduce yourself? Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So my name is Susanna Playstead, and I am an architect evangelist at Salesforce. For today's session, we are talking about being more well-architected. So for the following questions, that's your role. So could you give our audience an introduction to what that means as a role? In general, when we're talking about being more well-architected, we're making sure that we're following the well-architected principles to design solutions. So we're talking about whatever you're creating as an admin, you could be a developer or an architect by title. And to be more well-architected, you would just follow the principles of thinking about the concepts of trust, easy, and adaptable. And those can be applied whatever your role is in the Salesforce ecosystem. I think it's good to remind our audience there of, these principles and this framework kind of fits whatever role. If you're not familiar with the framework, so Well-Architected is a couple of things. So it is a framework that's going to help you make sure that you're building healthy solutions with Salesforce products. And it's also a series of white papers that cover a set of topics all under those three pillars that we discussed. And in those white papers, what it contains are patterns and anti-patterns and things that you can essentially look for in your organization or in your documentation to know if you're sort of heading in the right direction. And all the guidance is available in architect.salesforce.com. Awesome. That's great for our audience to check out after the session. So again, imagining your role is being more well-architected. How would you say this interacts with other roles? Mm, that's interesting. So I think that in general, you're interacting with whether, no matter what your like proper role is, mm. you're working with customers, right? You're working with your stakeholders that want to use Salesforce. So I think in your role in that way, it's making sure that you're not just an order taker, right? You're not just taking yeah. in whatever user stories or requests or feature enhancements that someone's requesting. You're not just taking those in and you're also not just solving problems creatively with Salesforce. I think that's a, a place where a lot of people find themselves once they're like over the hump of learning about how to do the basics, then you get as a technical person or as a practitioner, you get sort of like inspired to make these creative solutions. You're like, I can't believe I did this. Like, yeah. and I took this and it, I like did this out of the box thing. And like, isn't this so clever that I did this? And like, that can be really fun. <laughs> it's a fun place to be, yeah. but that's also not being more well-architected, right? Just because you came up with this like clever way to do something doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best way or the only way. So I would say like, balancing those two of like being an order taker or being like so creative and so smart that you like create this thing that maybe isn't going to last over time. Yeah. Okay. And that's really important, right? Having a system that's sustainable, you can swap bits and pieces in and out as you need it. Absolutely. Um, like, yeah. Resilient. That doesn't fail. Yeah. That is maybe you're following what I like to say is you're following the most direct path in engineering, right? You're not like trying to fit something into a space that it shouldn't just because it's the only way you know how to do it or because it's like very creative or something like that. Yeah. And I think I, I can certainly speak from my own experience here of kind of falling into the trap of making it fit a particular solution. That's always not a great idea either, is it? 
Right. And that's, you know, you're that, especially if you're an architect or even if you're another role, you are that um, advisor to being like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, maybe we shouldn't do it this way or, and actually a better way to approach that is to being transparent about like, what are the risks of taking this approach? So, cause you know, as uh, someone who's ultimately working for a a customer that has business needs that wants something done, you know, they're not going to love the, like, no, we shouldn't do it. Like that's not, that's not smart or that's not the right way to do it. So you want to provide solutions, right? And you want to provide the pros and cons and the trade-offs in, involved in choosing one thing or over another. And that's, I think, ultimately one way to be more well-architected. Yeah, no, definitely. And kind of thinking about the longer term as well. Like I recently was working with a client and I kind of pointed out to them, well, over a year or so you're going to have over a million records that that do this thing you know right. how's that going to impact your system is it going to slow it down are you going to start to experience data skew like all of those things start kind of buzzing in your head right yeah and definitely and not just identifying them but also then coming up with some proactive solutions so saying mm-hmm this is interesting. Like in this many years, we're going to have this many records. Here are some options of what we can do, what fits you best so that you're always presenting solutions with the challenges that you're highlighting. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a conversation about pros and cons sometimes. You typically play the role of being well-architected full-time, right? Because you don't necessarily park your ambitions there for, for other means. Right. I think you need to keep being well architected in mind sort of at all times because the the great power and responsibility, but also risk that comes with being someone who's making these architectural decisions, whether or not that's your title or not, is that the choices you make can have really long lasting effects. So if you, you know, were to take your well architected hat off, you know, and be like, well, on Friday, I'm just not going to worry about it. What if you end up having to make a decision on Friday that's going to have lasting impacts, you know, for like five years down the line of a project? So you can't ever sort of let your guard down. You always need to be thinking in that long, sort of with an eye to the long term at all times. Yeah, definitely. That makes uh, perfect sense. So for those people that are kind of wanting to learn more about this and perhaps trying to get started in being more well architected themselves what tips or advice would you give to them yeah that's a great question so i would say start with understanding the concepts of the framework right so what are the considerations that you should keep in mind and then i think the other big thing to keep in mind is the fact that everything in well architected is in priority order because you can't even though we said you want to be like thinking about being well architected at all times that's great but you can't be thinking about everything at once all the time so how do you prioritize what you're going to focus on when and i think leaning on the well architected structure of you know you're always going to be keeping trust in mind like that's at the forefront all the time and if you are in a position where you need to prioritize which you're going to be because there aren't unlimited resources or time or things like that then making sure that you keep those like security is always going to win out over composability and like keeping that in mind. So I think starting with getting really good at prioritizing is probably one thing that you can do sort of that's separate and just a great skill to have as any sort of role. And then being very intimately familiar with the framework and the principles and the priority of well-architected. Awesome. And I think that's good, solid advice there, like in terms of prioritization, whether somebody's 
listening to this and they're a consultant or they're an admin or they're a developer or an architect, they probably have some of those skills already and perhaps have some kind of ways of working that can kind of feed into that uh, skill. Definitely. Set, right? Yeah. And keep in mind that, you know, you are going to have your priorities as someone that is focused on being more well-architected, but someone else coming and working with you is going to have their own set of priorities. So that's really the hard skill of being able to like join those things and create a vision of moving forward together. And that's really one of the reasons why Salesforce created the V2 mom to make sure that you can plan together as a team and have a clear vision and clear values that everyone is aligned behind. So that's really the trick, like prioritizing on your own is great. Like we can all yeah. do that. We can all come up with our <laughs> own priorities, but like, how do you work as a team together? Because the work that we're doing with Salesforce and working with customers and businesses and organizations, that's a team sport. So how do you prioritize together is the real trick. Yeah. And I guess you can use the principles within the frame framework to do that as well. So for example, if there was something that you were looking to do or, or develop and it was related to security, then mm-hmm. that would be at the forefront. That would be very kind of high business value points or or something like that. Do, do you kind of often see other people working in that type of way as well? So I think it all depends on the, the timing too. So you're going to, I think a great analogy that actually Parker Harris shared with me was like, when we think about prioritizing at Salesforce, you are not going to decide to, you know, one quarter not do sales cloud because it's not the most important priority. <laughs> but it's also not at the top of our V2 mom every year. So what you're going to focus on and when changes over time, and it can always be reprioritized. So I to answer your question, I would say at a beginning of a project, when you're trying to stand up a new implementation, yes, security is going to be the first thing that you want to have. Lockdown, when you release an MVP, like security is going to be your your security requirements are going to probably come first. But if you're working on a project that is a non-greenfield implementation, maybe there's an, uh, an org that's been around for a while and security is looking good. You've got the the basics, you're, you know, meeting all the requirements and all of that. Maybe you focus on a different area because you're focused on composability for, you know, this particular sprint or this particular quarter. So I think keeping in mind that priorities change over time and can always be reprioritized is also another thing to keep in mind. It's not like you set your priorities once and then you're good to go for the rest of, you know, forever. No, you're going to be revisiting them and debating them and making sure that they still align with the team yeah totally and i guess it makes sense too like if there's a new compliance regulation coming out then that would be your immediate focus right and perhaps something security related would be less important than i guess Definitely. So I think that's a great call out to make sure that another tool that you're using, no matter what your role is, make sure that you have a clear roadmap for your customer and for your project of what you want to roll out when, and then you're keeping that roadmap very closely attuned to the Salesforce roadmap. So you know what's coming out, you know how to prioritize things like technical debt, and you have a real clear vision for what's coming. So you're not surprised and you're not working, you know, after that compliance mandate has come out, you're not <laughs> scrambling to then adhere to it. You, you've you known that it's coming, you have a plan for it. So having really strong roadmaps and making sure that every item in your backlog ties to your roadmap is another way to make sure that you're keeping those priorities in check. 
So do you think in today's ever-changing world uh, where AI is really important, do you think that the kind of here and now there are perhaps higher priority items uh, as part of the framework with the dawn of things like ChatGPT, the ability for a user to export all of the information out of the system and feed it into ChatGPT is quite a security risk, right? Do, do you think there's anything like that in today's ever-changing world in perhaps relation to AI that is perhaps shifting things or changing what traditionally would or wouldn't be a priority? It's mm, a great question. So I don't think that the priorities of the framework are going to change. The high-level security is always going mm. to be number one. Trust is always going to be number one for Salesforce. And uh, regardless of what's happening with AI and generative AI, I do think that there's going to be a lot of patterns and anti-patterns that crop up that are going to be different, that we are just learning about now, or we're going to find out, especially I think folks are, an example is we're thinking a lot about generative AI right now and mm -hmm. how, you know, what are the things we need to consider with a tool like ChatGPT or with the Einstein One platform. But in the longer term, as AI evolves, it's not just going to be a chatbot, essentially, that you're working with. We're, we're going to move into things like more generalized or generalized AI. We're going to move into the, the concept of like autonomous agents is what everyone's yeah. talking about. Like what happens when AI is not just giving you text, but it's chaining together these actions that do yeah. something without human intervention. We're going to find out a lot of anti-patterns and patterns to follow yeah. with that. But I don't think that the concepts within you know, of secure, easy, and adaptable are going to change. I think just the the patterns that we need to look out for are going to evolve as the technology evolves. Yeah. Okay. And perhaps the role of the system and the users that are using it will change slightly too as well. So maybe the principle there of kind of like having an engaging system is is there, but how a system mm. could be engaging could perhaps change, right? Oh, absolutely. I think that's a great, that's a great call out. Like as we think about how people interact with just the, like the the web right now, yeah. right? Like with search, like with something as like basic for us now is Google, like how mm. we search for information is going to change. Yes. How we interact with the system is going to change. So yeah, absolutely. An engaging experience might look different, although thinking about things like ease of use, I think the general concepts, again, are going to stay the same. Maybe we'll add some additional things as we learn. But I think, again, how you deliver the engaging experience is absolutely going to change. Yeah, totally. Okay, so kind of casting your mind back to when you started out designing and helping to spread the word about this framework. If you were to start out on that journey of becoming more well-architected yourself again, is there anything you would do differently or or change? That's a great question. So is there anything I would do differently or change? I think that we would, I think sometimes the perfect, what is the phrase? The You don't want the perfect to get in the way of the good. So <laughs> you want to make sure that you're not sort of paralyzed by all of the options and all of the information. I think when we were creating Well Architected, for instance, we had to walk this fine line of making sure that we were producing some, something that was high quality, but that we didn't get stuck in a loop of waiting for it to be perfect so that, you know, it took us years to come out with something because by that time, especially now when we're talking with about the this new wave of AI, 
Mm-hmm. Everything is moving so rapidly. I think the opportunity to, you know, have an IT project that lasts like, you know, five years or three years or whatever. Like, I think yeah. those days are maybe shifting. Everything is moving at a, a such faster pace, keeping in mind that you need to like keep moving. You need to make sure you're producing quality solutions that your project is, you know, healthy, but you can't be stuck in this like analysis paralysis yeah. phase because you're going to far farther and farther behind. So I think that would be something that I think we were able to walk the line of when we were rolling this out, but I think is an even more important lesson now with the speed of change. Yeah. And you can talk about change in a number of different ways. You can talk about how AI is changing everything. And then you can also talk about how perhaps Salesforce as a company is changing with new products being onboarded and and new features and things coming out as well. And I guess kind of trying to tread the line between all of those things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like making sure that you're bringing people along with you, you're bringing your customers along with you. And you're riding that fine line again of having to deal with problems that you're solving for that have existed, you know, for multiple years. So you Mm -hmm. have that long view, sort of the historical, like, well, we have to deal with today's problems, but then also bringing people along into the future as we work with all these new different technologies and products and solving the products of the future. You have to be sort of straddling both of those lines as um, someone who's delivering well-architected solutions. Yeah. If you were to define some key skills and attributes it takes to be more well-architected, so the, the framework being trusted, easy, and adaptable, what kind of keywords or phrases w- would you pull out that you think describe somebody that embodies those things? I think maybe forward looking. So someone who's like has an eye for not just solving today's problem, but what's going to happen in three to five years. I think honest. So being honest about what can be delivered, making sure you're setting those clear expectations and that mm-hmm. you're not everything's fine and things are like on fire. Like you want to be really transparent and honest with your team and with your customers and setting expectations appropriately. Then I guess maybe one final word would be hungry. And I guess like (laughs) by that, I mean, not that it's lunchtime here in the East Coast, which is true, but you want to keep learning, right? I think that's Mm. super important right now, especially if you're going to be well-architected in this future that's moving really quickly, you need to be hungry to keep learning. You need to be excited about all this change and like being hungry to learn more as opposed to being like, oh, this is all different. And like, I don't feel like learning about this new thing. Like it's a, it's a fad. It's going to go away. Like if that's the stance you have, I think you're, again, you're just going to be falling farther and farther behind. Yeah. And that's quite interesting. When you said hungry, I was kind of thinking, oh, where, where are you going with this? And I was, my, my brain connected it and was like, hungry for change. That, that was how mm-hmm. I summarized it in my head. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because the world as we know it, is changing and it's changing rapidly. So we need to be, as you said, along for the ride. Otherwise we're going to get left behind and and stuck. Um, Yeah. It's a really, it's a really cool time. Like if you're just, if you're watching this and you're just coming into the IT space and working in this field, like it's a really cool time to be working in our line of work. So it's going to be a lot of change, but I think it's going to be a really exciting time. Okay. Yeah, I think it is. And it's definitely interesting to see not only where AI will take us in the near future, but three to five years, it's very difficult to predict that, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I think we're all learning together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So 
Around those skills and attributes, is there a good way for people, do you think, to start building up? Because I know communication came out there and it was kind of quite a strong theme of of what you were saying. Like, how can people actually get those experiences, do you think? Right. That's a great question. So it's not just, you know, you obviously want to keep learning and using all the great resources that are out there. I think by actually, you know, getting in the field, working on a project, even if you're like, if you're watching this and you were like, oh, I want to be an architect and you're just trying to break into the field. I think a lot of these skills you get by like learning as you go, working on a project, working in an IT department. So I think, you know, obviously some of it is transferable, but my, I guess, best guidance would be to work in a place where you're learning from someone else who has these skills that you want, like find not necessarily a mentor. I feel like, you know, that's, you want to be working at a place where you're not the the best at everything, where there's someone who you can learn from, Mm -hmm. especially if you're starting out and trying to like pick up a lot of the stuff. Like if you are the smartest person in the room or you're the best like communicator in the room, you probably want to look at maybe making a transition and finding either a mentor or finding a place where you can just be constantly learning on the job, I think is probably my best advice, which is sometimes hard. I know people are like, oh, but I like my company. It's like, that's great. But if you (laughs) want to learn and grow, you might need to look at another great company in your future. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And how important do you think it is that your kind of immediate network plays in that as well so like taking an an example recently recorded an episode on b2c commerce so not that i have questions about commerce very often but i know somebody that i can kind of ask and that would know the answer right Mm -hmm. how important do you think that is and what ways can people do to help i guess build up their networks yeah. So uh, I think a network is incredibly important, both from like knowing who you can call when you have a B2C yeah. question, but also for connecting my previous answer. I think the way you're going to find that next role or learn about that next thing that you don't even know you need to learn about yet is through a strong network that can happen even if you don't ha- work at a big company or even if you don't mm-hmm. have a lot of peers in your ge- local geography. I think the best way, like we're very lucky working in the Salesforce ecosystem because there is a strong network of folks that is virtual, that is sort of across the globe. I think the best way to get involved is by reaching out to your local user group. You'd be surprised if, if you work in a small place or live in a small area, there's probably a user group not too far from you. They're also amazing online resources and groups that have sort of formed ad hoc, lots of them, but just making sure that you're involved on like, and make sure that you're taking advantage of the technology that's going to help you build your network. So even something as like, I don't know, I was a late comer to like fully embracing LinkedIn. Mm. Um, but even making sure that you're like connecting with folks that have an interest in the things that you're interested in, following those conversations online, even if you don't have a network um, near you in person, definitely worth your time. Like that's going to pay back dividends when you're actually looking for that role or looking for help. So think of that as part of your the skills that you need to prepare, like cultivating mm-hmm. and building a strong network is part of your yeah. professional skill set. Yeah, no, definitely. And that will hopefully in turn help with those communication skills as well, because sometimes you have to have not necessarily arguments, but like heated debates about pros and cons of things, right? 
Yes. Yeah. And I think one of the ways that I found helpful for me to get more involved and build my like virtual network was stepping up and offering to like teach a study session. So don't be too scared to like volunteer to speak about a topic you're learning about or to bring people along with you as you learn. Um, you don't need to be an expert to get involved in those conversations online or weigh in. That's probably the fastest way to learn. And for me, one of the best ways to learn is to teach as I go. And yeah. you could tweak your presentation this way. Or did you know that you could do it that way? Having those conversations can only happen if you sort of share where you're at or share your ideas. So don't be afraid to sort of jump into the conversation. Yeah, solid advice there. And I can totally relate to that too. So kind of moving on a little bit, but if there was one thing you'd like to change or make more people aware about the role of being more well-architected, is there a myth or anything like that that you'd kind of like to bust to our audience or any clarifications, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. I think the myth I would like to bust is that it's someone else's job, that someone else (laughs) will do it you know, oh, someone else is getting paid more or someone else will will handle it. I think it's everyone needs to be involved. It's like a definitely Mm -hmm. a team effort because everyone has a specialty. It's like if you're an administrator or a developer, you're going to know more about the day-to-day and like the mechanics and the ins and outs of like these new things versus someone who's maybe an architect or a manager of some sort, like you are the expert. So make sure that the choices that you're making are well-architected because everything sort of flows together and relies on each other. So don't assume it's someone else's job. Yeah, totally. And I think some roles dependent on what they are you're kind of closer to the users as well and it's really important understanding what they need and what they think and also what may be able to help them as well so kind of lean into that I think would you you agree there 100 percent. yes definitely agree okay awesome well I think that's great solid advice and bringing today's session a little bit to a close but before we do go how can people connect with you and the the framework to kind of learn more and start to build out their own skills of being more well-architected? Yes, definitely. So to find the framework, to give feedback, because we want to hear your feedback, go to architect.salesforce.com. The white papers where all the information lives is there. There's a feedback forum on every white paper. And then to connect with me, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm still on Twitter or X. Feel free to reach out. And I'd love to yeah, connect with you, hear what you think about Well Architected. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again for your time today. And hopefully we will help people be more well-architected themselves. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Be More with Tom Bassett. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave any feedback in the comments.